Welcome everyone, this is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health. And today we've got some really exciting information for you. And we're joined by Zach Voorhees, who is a patriot and a very brave and courageous man. Uh, you may or may not recognize him, but for those of you who don't, he's been a senior Google engineer for eight years and he is the whistleblower and is gonna share some information with you today that if you don't know already is going to just astound you. So welcome and thank you for joining us today, Zach. Thank you, Dr. McCullough. It's a pleasure being on your show. So um, why don't you give a little background of your history and you know what catalyzed, motivated you to, you, to, to engage in this courageous behavior? Yeah, so, um, Everything started out with Google really great. Um, I really enjoyed my, my time there. Um, you know, they had this mission statement of organizing the world's information and making it universally accessible and useful. And they also had this, uh, this, this idea of don't be evil. Mm -hmm. And it was built right into their IPO statements. And so I went, this is great. This is exactly the kind of company that the world needs. Um, we need to organize all the world's information. Um, and make it universally accessible. We need to let the, the, the algorithms decide what goes to the top and let the users decide what's most useful for them and then you know, make sure that other people are able to find that information. And Google stayed true to those principles all the way up until 2016 uh, after Donald Trump won the election. And for some reason they decided that they were going to um, throw all of these mission statements away and go after the president of the United States and censor the internet and distort the news uh, so that, um, you know, people's searches could be redirected, you know, towards um, anti-presidential sentiment. And this eventually morphed into, um, you know, not just censorship of the internet, but censorship of, uh, or not just censorship of the president, but censorship of the information related to health. And I started to have my own experience of realizing that um, many of the foods that I was eating and the water that I was consuming were bad for my health. Um, they had potent neurotoxins in them. And as, and in particular, like the fluoride in the water has you know, is, is banned in several countries, but you know, in California, it's, it's allowed. In Seattle, it's allowed. Um, you know, I, I feel at this point that I've got mercury uh, poisoning from the amalgam fillings in my mouth and the thimerosal in the vaccines that I was given as a kid. Uh, my parents told me that I had really bad ear infections uh, following vaccination. And what I've learned from other functional doctors is that that was a sign of uh, detoxification uh, coming out through my ears. And finally, I, I've been a sufferer of migraines for my entire life. And it just kept on getting worse and worse and worse. I was up to like 12 Advil a day, um, mm. almost every day to, to get rid of these headaches. And, um, and once I went to a keto diet, 90% um, of the headaches just went away. And I was like, wow, what is this? What's going on? And that's when I started to really dig into like the health aspects and what these people were saying. And I discovered that there were uh, treatments 
for things like cancer and autism and um, that were being suppressed. And not only were they being suppressed, but they were viciously attacking people that were um, talking about these things. And what I realized is that, uh, you know, if this was allowed to continue, then this agenda of big pharma would, you know, be able to become like, sort of like the truth. And, um, and so, right. you know, with well, that when, and some, go well, ahead. When, when did you reach that epiphany that uh, there was uh, a concerted effort to misguide you and not provide you with informa information, but rather propaganda? Uh, I think it was gonna be like around March of 2019. That's when I really wow. started going. Re relatively recently. Yeah, I was at the end of this whole, like once I found out that Google was censoring, you know, a lot of information, I started looking at the information that was censoring with a new degree of, well, this, you know, they, they wouldn't be censoring unless it was true, almost sort of thing. And so, <laughs> it's a strange heuristic to use to figure out what's true in the world, but you just got to figure out what they're censoring and you kind of understand that that's, that they're censoring it because it's not, it's not big tech friendly uh, or it's, it's, it's not friendly to the established, you know, players. And, um, you know, one of the most, one of the most disconcerting ideas that I came across was this idea that there was a depopulation agenda. And in, in one sense, it's not hard to believe. Like if I go and tell someone, you know, that the elites think that there's too many people in the world and there should be less, they're like, oh, I, I agree with that. There should be less people. We're just a cancer on the planet. Mm -hmm. And so, um, once I started hearing about the depopulation agenda, I started, I started looking for evidence that, that this was in effect. And that's you know, essentially what I found. Mm -hmm. um, I found that with fluoride, I found that with vaccines, I found that with the glyphosate um, in the food. Um, I found that in my own cures. And I found that there were a lot of remissions that were happening that weren't being covered in the media. I wanna go back to, and th thanks for sharing your historical perspective, but I, I'm particularly intrigued with what you did. And at some point, you had this epiphany, it sounds like earlier this year, and then you started using Google's internal search engine to, to extract literally hundreds of pages of confidential information that you had access to them that no one outside the company did not. So, so why don't you walk us through that and then the story that evolved and it's, it's just, it basically, uh, I mean, you've done interviews with, um, what was the group? Uh, Veritas? Mind, Veritas, yeah, Veritas. That yeah. was a really good. We'll probably put a link, we'll probably put that interview with, uh, you did with Veritas. On right. So let's go back to 2017. To, yeah, no, that was in 2017. So, you so, just so, two, so yeah, so what happened in 2017 was really interesting, right? So. You know, right after Donald Trump won the election, um, the company was like, we've got to tackle fake news. Like fake news is this huge problem. We need to like protect our users from it. And so I was thinking to myself, well, what exactly is fake news? Like who decides what fake news is and what's real? So I started searching on Google's internal search engine, MoMA, to figure out what the definition of fake news was. And I found this slide deck, which is a type of presentation, and in the slide deck, um, 
they were listing real events that had happened as fake news. Um, and so I went, well, wait a minute, is this about fake news? Or is this about controlling the narrative for like political purposes? And so um, I started collecting these documents because I knew that these documents were so explosive that eventually some of them would get leaked and Google would take them down. So I started creating this like cache of documents that were outrageous. And um, as I was you know, researching more about fake news, I, just, I began to discover these other projects. Um, and the, the main project that's responsible for Google censorship is a thing called machine learning fairness. And as you would imagine, you know, they're not going to call like, you know, their censorship regime, like something bad, they're going to call it something like fairness. So that if you're against that, you're against fairness, right? So you, as a euphemism, it's a euphemism. So I discovered that there was this umbrella project, machine learning fairness, and there was these subcomponents like project purple rain, which is a 24 hour response team that is monitoring the internet. Um, I also, saw other pro uh, other projects, ProFair, um, I'm trying to think of them right now, Project Purple Ram, ProFair, uh, Twiddler, Superroot. There are these sub-projects of this umbrella term of machine learning fairness. Well, well, let's just stop there for a moment and maybe define machine learning because a lot of people watching this aren't familiar with that term and, and how it involves a form of artificial intelligence. Yes, so let's say that this circle right here represents the entire spectrum of all possible AI-like techniques. Mm -hmm. Machine learning fairness is a small part of that like, type of AI, and it's a relatively new type of AI. And what machine learning does is it simulates brain neurons and how they fire. And so if you, if you remember what, you know, how a brain neuron fires, it takes in as input um, signals from other neurons and then mixes those signals together and decides whether it wants to fire or not based on the signals that it receives. Well, um, these artificial neurons do something similar. They have a collection of inputs. Uh, depending on an internal rule set, it will either fire uh, depending on the inputs that it gets from, the, from the, the, the inputs that are coming in. And then that output is used as input for, a, for you know, further down stream for processing. And so if you have this collection of millions of simulated neurons, or even just hundreds, you can start to create very complex behavior that's able to solve problems like, uh, like chess or, or the game Go. Um, they can like figure out what the optimal routing uh, is for, let's say, a mailman trying to make the, the, have the shortest walk and deliver all the mail. Um, which is called the traveling salesman problem. And so, you know, or it can classify hate speech. And that's actually the most, you know, that's the part that's interesting to, to me is how this thing can be used to classify information across the internet. And so machine learning fairness is a type of AI that takes, you know, information on the internet and then classifies it and then ranks it. And then the Google engine will figure out whether the information is fair or not. And if it is, fair quote unquote it goes to the top and if it's not fair then it gets pushed to the bottom that's what machine learning fairness is in a nutshell and let, and let me just interject here and give it another term it, it what it appears to be is google's fudge factor for trying to make the world right that's correct yeah yeah, mm -hmm. yeah it's a fudge factor um and so i started uh yeah when, when, and so 
you know, I'm seeing this is happening in early 2017. And then Google comes out and says, hey, we're going to start assigning an authoritativeness score to all of the um, news and content that's coming out. So um, if it's anything related to news, then, you know, they're going to rank, they're going to rank it. And the problem is, you know, I, I was able to see this ranking uh, inter on internal documents and the ranking was giving high rankings to like the New York Times, the Washington Post and the Wall Street Journal. And these, these outlets, in my opinion, have been producing propaganda. You know, they've been, you know, they lied us into war with Iraq with the weapons of mass destruction hoax. Um, you know, they've lied us into Vietnam. They have a history of supporting every war and military incursion around the world that has seen the destruction of millions of lives. So why do these entities that, you know, have been, you know, pushing misinformation for the deep state, why are these given high authoritativeness? Um, and then, you know, if they're given author high authoritativeness, what's not getting high authoritativeness? And, um, and so it was in June of 2017 when the CEO of YouTube, Susan Muchowski, came out on sta stage and actually announced that, you know, this is how they were going to filter news content across the YouTube platform. So I said, okay, finally it's coming to YouTube. And now we're going to start seeing the clampdown on anything that goes against the mainstream narrative. And that's exactly what happened. And um, around that time, uh, I had the fortune of catching uh, seditious activity by Google. And what I caught them doing was deleting words out of the translation dictionary from Arabic to English in order to make a Trump tweet sound crazy. So what happened was President Trump went to Saudi Arabia and he came back and on May 31st, he made the following tweet. Uh, despite the naked of constant press, kefefe. Well, a bunch of people were able to decode what kefefe meant. And they figured out that, you know, it translated on translate.google.com to we will stand up. And so taken together, you could see Donald's, uh, you know, Trump's tweet as, you know, despite the negative constant press, we will stand up. And people got really excited about that. Well, the New York Times decided that they were going to write an entire article saying, you know, actually this word is nonsense and everyone that thinks that there's decode is just wrong. The same day that this article came out, I believe it was June 1st, 2017, uh, a senior executive person at Google, I think it was like an executive director of like uh, one of their AI divisions, wrote up a design document saying, hey, we translate this word from Arabic to English uh, but according to the New York Times, that's not right. That's, that's actually nonsense. So um, let's get rid of the word. And so they got rid of the word. And the team that was responsible for getting rid of this word called themselves the Derrida team. Why is that significant? Because there was a French philosopher by the name of Jacques Derrida who advocated for the destruction of Western culture through the manipulation and censorship of language. So what a coincidence that, you know, this team responsible for censoring words 
would have the same name as this very significant, you know, philosopher who is considered the father of postmodernism. And so once I saw that, I started to ask myself, I was like, well, this seems, you know, this seems odd. And then about six days later, I saw that the uh, newspapers were making a push for invoking the 25th Amendment uh, to remove a sitting president from office due to mental incapacitation. And one of the reasons that they cited was how, you know, Trump was tweeting nonsense. Now, well, wait a minute, that was made nonsense by, you know, this manipulation of, 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 the, of the dictionary, you know? <laughs> this is, you know, so I, I, I realized that, okay, these people have gone too far. There's obviously a collusion here. Um, and I have to bring this to attention no matter what. And this isn't because, you know, I'm necessarily a Trump supporter, like I didn't vote for him in the election. Um, this is, you know, simply because of, you know, they can't be doing this to a sitting president of the United States. That's just not, that just can't happen. Um, and this needs to be- Well, it, it can happen, but it's treason. It's treason, yeah, it's treason. So. If this is going to happen, then I've got to let, you know, the public know, law enforcement know about it. Because if I don't, then I'm part of a conspiracy of silence. And I'm going along with it now knowing what's happening. So um, it was at that point that I decided that I could no longer sit in silence. Uh, I took my cache of documents and I started to prepare for um, a disclosure event. And what 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 was the date on that? Well, the disclosure. No, when you took your your documents and did, formally left Google, I'm assuming. Yeah, so I'd actually delivered the documents before I left Google. So I started, you know, I started the search sort of like on the side in the summer of um, 2017, and then like somewhere in the fall, I was able to make contact with a media group that was trustworthy. Um, and I started, you know, building a relationship with them because I didn't want to give them the documents and then have them leak it and then get the metadata tracked back to me and have Google, you know, end up suing me. Um, I thought at the time that I could just tell Patriots on the outside what was going on, give them the information, and then they would do the necessary research in order to bring this to light. Um, but it didn't quite, go out in the way that I thought that it would. Um, so let's, let's go to 2018, you know, winter, where I now have, you know, I consider him a handler um, who was an associate for Project Veritas. Um, he had come down and he had reviewed the documents with me and he's getting it into his head about, you know, what exactly this program is and how big it is, because there's a, lot of, there's a lot of pages, right? There's 950 pages that I've collected. I've given these 950 pages to him and he's, he's trying to figure out like, okay, well, what's, what's going on here? Um, and in the middle of him, like starting to, you know, create the system to, you know, figuring out who to go after, um, he gets a change of orders from up top that tells him, hey, you need to go after Twitter. And so this guy ends up changing focus and I'm only able to assist him in a little bit about going after Twitter, but, but he went after them 
got into one of their um, holiday parties and just absolutely nailed them. You know, got them talking about how they were conserving, how they were censoring conservatives and all these other trashy people and caught them on video saying this stuff and leaked it out to the, to the web. Um, he started to come back to my story, but then something happened within the company and he got laid off. This is and Project so, Veritas, right? Yeah, with Project Veritas. I guess there was like an internal mutiny that happened. Like some mm. bad actors got inserted into the company and they tried and to take down James. Mm. So there was a purge. My handler was part of that purge. And so um, I was wondering if Project Veritas would pick up the story again, but they never got back to me. Um, and I actually wondered, you know, well, maybe this isn't that interesting, you know, <laughs> maybe this isn't an interesting, you know, story. So I waited and I worked at Google and I waited and I waited and I waited. And this I, is in, into 2018. To 2018. And now, you know, there was a, there was a mass shooting that happened at my like, campus, um, actually in my building on the campus. Um, some person got demonetized. Uh, because of a YouTube policy of censorship. And so she came to the campus with a handgun and opened fire on the employees. And it was normally where I would have been eating or, you know, because it, it was in the lunch area, but I happened to decide to skip lunch at that time. And so um, I missed, uh, I missed the, the carnage. Um, but my coworker people, actually- How many people killed there? I, I don't recall. The only- Casualty was the person himself. They they shot like she shot herself um, okay. in the chest and then and then bled out. And okay. I know this because I saw the body as I came out because a fire alarm was pulled. And so all of a sudden the censorship became really personal to me because now people were willing to come into the office and open fire on employees because they were so heartbroken over their own. Let's just stop the story there because I think it's an interesting one. I want to get to this point eventually. Or, uh, but why don't you elaborate on what exactly happened to YouTube? Because it's quite profound. I mean, there is really no justification for the behavior that the woman had, but you can certainly begin to understand what motivated her when you understand what they what YouTube did to these people. Yeah, I mean, so from what I remember about this person is that uh, her name was Nassim. Um, she had a video that went viral in Iran. She was Iranian. And she was creating really bizarre videos that were just, I don't know, I, I watched them and I actually strangely loved them. I, I couldn't like stop watching them. They were so weird. And she decided <laughs> that she was going to quit her job and become a full-time content creator. Um, Google like millions, like millions of others. Yeah, like millions of others. She's like, I'm, I've got this dream. I want to be this video editor, uh, and I'm going to create all these really weird videos. And you know, YouTube was the platform to do that. Everyone was, you know, getting a lot of subscribers and trying to generate money, you know, monetize on the platform. So, um, so YouTube said that, hey, there's a bunch of videos on here, and we don't want like we can't guarantee advertising a, a friendly, a, uh, sorry, a brand friendly space for advertisers to be in with all these low subbed channels. So channels that don't have a lot of subscribers, you know, that are pushing trashy content. So what YouTube did is that they made a blanket ban 
anyone under two, uh, 10,000 subscribers got censored. So actually, and by censorship, I mean demonetized. So they lost all of their funding that they could get for their videos. Now they could still push the videos. Yeah. They just wouldn't get any money for it. And by money, this is they were allowed to provide Google ads running in their videos for which they would get a certain amount. That's correct. Yeah, they would get a cut of the ads that were running, um, you know, when people would interact with the ads or view them. Mm -hmm. And so this person, you know, had just left their job and now they were being, you know, they felt they were being oppressed by, by YouTube. And so um, she drove all the way from San Diego, um, came to the YouTube headquarters, 901 Cherry Avenue, um, got through the parking garage, came into the lunch area patio, took out a handgun, and started firing, just popping, you know, popping rounds off. Uh, shot a couple people and, uh, and like, uh, like ran out of ammo, reloaded and shot some more and then like popped themselves in the chest and then like just lay there bleeding to death. Um, really, really bizarre uh, way to go. Um, I was, you know, sitting there programming away um, when a fire alarm went off. And so, you know, I grabbed my skateboard and I exit the building through the rear, just like everyone else. And uh, because I've got the skateboard, I'm able to like go down this hill. So I'm going like really, really fast. And I'm kind of ahead of this wave of people that are, you know, exiting the building. And I see these people like standing next to the cement patio and I approach them and I look over to where they're staring at and there's this body just laying on the ground with, you know, on its, on its back and blood's like pouring out of this, this, the stomach. And I'm sitting there going, what is going on? Is that personal, right? At that point, um, a door on the patio flings open. A SWAT member team comes in with a fully automatic rifle. And I look at that and I went, oh my God, this is an active shooter situation. So I take off, I run, I put my skateboard down on the ground. I start, you know, going as fast as I can. And I start shouting out to this wave that's now coming down the hill, you know, active shooter, active shooter, active shooter. Some people figure it out immediately and they start running to the fence. They start climbing over the fence to, to get the heck out. Um, I go through the parking garage, you know, and I exit through the side entrance and, uh, and wow. And then, you know, I, I see all these police and fire trucks coming in. And um, soon after there's, there's a bunch of uh, media. Uh, people are calling me because they, they just heard about the shooting event. And this all happened because, you know, Google, well, obviously this person's mentally, you know, deranged, but also they were triggered by Google censorship. So, you know, now I've got this very personal, you know, um, this very personal story about how censorship has affected, you know, my safety. And, um, and you would think that maybe YouTube would second think all of its, uh, all of its censorship stuff, but no, they didn't. In fact, you know, Google was, is a gun-free zone. And I would have expected that they would have at least, you know, hired some armed guards, given that we had already had one mass shooting. But they don't want to violate the narrative. So they just had more guards and all of them were unarmed. 
and they increase security on everyone, but no guns. So, um, you know, every day I would come into work and I would think, well, you know, is with this increasing censorship, is, is someone going to come on and then, you know, with a gun and what's the security guards going to do other than run away because they don't have any guns, right? Like it's, it's a, a toothless mouth at that point to have security people without any weapons on them. How do you stop a mass shooter? You can't. So, um, so I'm sitting here, there's, there's nothing going on with the Project Veritas. You know, someone tried to shoot up the place and did. Um, and I just see the, the censorship getting worse. There, I'm sure you're familiar with the Panama Papers. And obviously a much bigger uh, whistleblower and data breach, John Doe was the whistleblower there and still, at, at least as I understand, uh, yet to be identified. Uh, but he, he, he leaked uh, over a terabyte of information. Uh, and uh, which essentially resulted in many f foreign leaders re uh, resigning and just being penalized. And there was a lot of backlash from that. So I'm wondering if you have ever thought if you, if there was any similarities between project or Panama papers and maybe even going to the, the journalism uh, investigative journalist that really uh, developed that story. You know, the sad part about the Panama papers is that um, no one really you know, it's familiar with the person who leaked it. And right. um, it's kind of sad because that person left it up to the media in order to pick up the slack and publicize all this stuff. And the media is not going to do that. The media is there to uh, protect the establishment players. Um, and, you know, like the Panama Papers hit, there was like a, a, a quick media event that happened because of that. And then um, kind of, it just dropped off the radar. It got memory hold. And um, some of the journalists were killed too. Yeah. Oh, they were? Oh yeah, yeah. As a direct result of their involvement with the project. That's so sad, that's so sad. Yeah, there's a lot of danger. It's really risky, um, you know, to step forward and take on, you know, individuals. Well, 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 I mean, and why did you go this route? And I mean, and, and I really want you to elaborate on the specific safety, per, your risk to your personal safety that you incurred as a result of releasing this information. Um, you know, I didn't really intend to come out the way that I did. Um, I, I figured that if I could just, you know, first just leak it to Project Veritas and they'd be able to blow the whole lid off of it. Um, that kind of happened. But then they were like, hey, could you please like come and talk uh, undercover about this, you know, behind a veil of anonymity. And so I agreed to that. And it was also at the same time that I was resigning from the company due to their crazy amount of censorship. So and when, when, did, when did you formally resign? Uh, I formally resigned I gave my resignation letter on, I think it was June 17th. And I said, I'm resigning effective this year, June 28th. Yes, this year. Okay. So I said, I'm, yeah, I'm resigning effective June 28th. Um, and then I immediately got put under investigation. They accepted my resignation immediately and said, you know, hey, no, don't need to come into work anymore. By the way, um, what about all these documents that you've looked at? Oh, whoa. <laughs> 
I'm so like, they, no, they, not... they tracked that. They had a really good history of what you were, what you had downloaded. Yeah. Yeah. They, they had a history. I mean, there's logs. Whenever you view a file inside of Google, you know, you leave a little breadcrumb. So I figured that if all the documents got released, then they would know what the common feature for all those documents was, which was I looked at them and then to be able to quickly, you know, figure it out. So when I went to Veritas, I went under anonymity and we only released two pages out of the 950 that they had. And my hope was that Google would leave me alone. Mm -hmm. They knew what I had. And if they wanted to um, come after me, that it, I knew that it was going to blow up in their face um, because, um, because I, I was really, I was really disgusted at, at the level of censorship and the betrayal of what they've done to the American people. And I knew that with, but I, I didn't want to be go on the offense like that. Um, so I figured that once I disclosed this, they would just let me go and be a software engineer somewhere else and go, you know, build the next big thing. But they decided that they weren't going to do that. They decided that they were going to attempt to financially destroy my life by engaging in um, lawfare, which is warfare via the legal system. And so um, within a few weeks of me disclosing ML Fairness through Project Veritas, they sent me threatening letters, um, demanding access to all of my data, you know, outside of work and rifling through it to see what files I had possibly retained from my employment with Google. And so, you know, I wrote them back a letter, you know, admitting that I had retained files and, you know, telling them that I had given them to law enforcement. Did, just excuse me for interrupting. Did that violate your uh, uh, terms of agreement of employment? The, the terms of a, the, the NDA, the non-disclosure agreement that I signed, isn't, it's not enforceable in, ca in cases that the company is committing criminal activity. Mm -hmm. So sedition is criminal activity, mm -hmm. which means that the NDA is null and void. I can submit evidence of Google's criminal activity to, um, to the government and to the media when the company is engaging in unlawful activity. So that's what I did. Also, I signed the NDA in good faith, believing that Google's word of organizing the world's information and making it universally accessible and useful and don't be evil were truthful statements. Mm -hmm. And so given the fact that Google did not say those things in good faith, they had actually said those things as fraudulent statements that um, they weren't going to back up. But you referenced, er you referenced earlier that at the time you thought they may have been truthful and they only after the 2016 election changed their viewpoints. Uh, that I, I was always willing to give them the benefit of the doubt until I saw them deleting words out of the translation dictionary so in order to make the preceded 2016. Yeah. Once, once, once I saw that in 2017, that's when I decided to react by disclosing this information to law enforcement. Okay. So why don't you continue with your story because it's quite fascinating. 
So they had um, just engaged in lawfare against you. Yeah, they, they started the first the first steps in lawfare, and I started to you know shop around for attorneys, and I met an attorney who was representing another Google engineer who attempted to blow the whistle in the most legitimate way possible, which was to notify the Federal Labor Review Board in California. And this guy goes by the name of Kevin Cernicky. And Kevin gave these papers to the National Labor Review Board and Google responded by ambushing him with HR, um, seizing his laptop, and then uh, seeing all the documents that he had downloaded and then firing him and creating a legal theory that he had been, that he had hacked into Google in order to get documents so that he could reconstruct Google's legal strategy and maybe even sell it. I'm not sure, but, um, but that he was, he was, that he was a criminal. And so they applied, you know, criminal charges against him. They made him defend himself in court uh, for his collection of evidence that he had sent to the, to the National Labor Review Board. And to this day, he's, he's exhausted $100,000 of his own money defending himself from Google. So I knew what was in store for me. And the lawyer that I talked to, who was his lawyer, was like, yeah, this is the first step in a very painful process that's going to drag on for years, and they're going to um, they're, 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 they're going to make it very expensive. Their goal is to destroy you. And so I went, well, um, you know, in that case, I'm not going to fight in the legal law. I'm going to fight in the court of public opinion. And so um, I decided at that point to, you know, come out to Project Veritas and um, disclose who I was so that I could get eyes. And I said, if Google's going to take me down, then I'm going to leverage that so that everyone else can see what they do and what they're really about. And then we can make Google's censorship program part of the national discussion. So I, I decided that I was going to go out fighting. And so I disclosed everything. I released it to the public, all 950 pages. And what, date, to, what, what date was that? Uh, this was August 17th, mm -hmm. um, 2019, this year. Okay. And uh, unfortunately, we released it on a Wednesday during like the busiest news day of the year. It was like Hong Kong riots were going, the stock market was crashing. There was like two mass casualty events that happened that day. Um, and then there was some other big news story. And then on top of that, there was like, it was like this, this 950 page, you know, Google leaks. So um, all this stuff happened at the same time, despite that, it was still one of the biggest stories that Project Veritas had ever released, but um, it didn't have quite the reach that it should have had. Um, and as a result, I am generating the news story, uh, and I've been doing that um, ever since you know full disclosure took place, uh, and trying to become a cultural force so that we can hold Google to account of what they're doing because their censorship is wrong. And it's, it's wrong for America. Um, it's anti-American. 
and their election meddling is something that needs to be looked at, needs to be watched because they've meddled with the elections in the past. Um, they are meddling in the elections now. They, they, they are able to deactivate Tulsi Gabbard's ad account, you know, directly following the democratic debates. Um, they've meddled in the Ireland elections. They've meddled in the Brazil elections. And we know this because there was a Supreme Court ruling that released the evidence showing that they had a secret agreement with one of the politicians to uh, generate dirt and boost it up on the uh, current president of Brazil. And so everywhere you go, you know, this-, this well, why don't we stop there? Because I think there's an intriguing part that as a software engineer, you can help uh, our audience understand. And one of those, the, the tools they use to meddle, because there's a significant number of countries where there's a very small margin of victory. And, and, if, and, and a, a powerful influence like Google can clearly make the difference in an election. And, and so I'd like you to describe some of the tools they use to do this meddling. I believe one of them is autofill, and that is what happens yes. when search engine and you are typing and they use their algorithms to help you complete that and you're led to believe that whatever your whatever the autofill uh, recommendations are is what most people are using right so this story about the autofill first got disclosed by um, dr. Robert Epstein who is a Harvard trained um, psychologist and former editor-in-chief of psychology today what he said was that Google was had flipped a bunch of votes for Hillary using this auto suggest feature and I've investigated this claim and I've verified it to be true and what's happening is when you go to Google search and you start typing in you know a search query um, Google's gonna autocomplete and give you suggestions. Now on their website, what they've said is that the suggestions that they're giving are being generated by um, a collection of user data, right? They're, they're, they're taking all the user searches that are being done and then they're figuring out which, which user searches are, um, you know, are, are people searching for and they try to figure out based on what you're doing, what, you know, what, what kind of searches you're likely to produce. So, it turns out that um, a lot of the popular searches were being suppressed. So, for example, if you typed in, um, you know, Clinton body count is a popular, you know, search term. And this, this brings up all the people that have died in the decades that were associated with Hillary Clinton. Well, this search result has been deleted off of the search suggestion. And what's happened instead is that um, a bunch of negative search terms have been sort of inserted, you know, that went against the current president of the United States, Donald Trump. And so when you're typing in these, these search queries, you know, for Trump, it's auto-completing and suggesting, oh, do you mean that he's a liar, that he's a crook, that he's all these people? And then you, you, you do the same for Hillary Clinton, and it just has like these positive terms. The, the same thing can be you know, was witnessed for supplements, right? Like Google was like, oh, they're fake, they're garbage, they don't work, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so they were, they were doing this on their, on their political stuff. And the, the crazy thing about this is that, you know, the, the most significant thing about this feature is the fact that 
you don't expect to have this part of your online experience to be hacked for political reasons. You think that, you know, that, that this is legitimately what other people are searching for. And as a result, you don't have your filters on. Like your brain puts on these filters when it starts to evaluate like politically charged information. And so when you read, you know, a newspaper article, you may be thinking to yourself, well, this may be true, this may not, you're skeptical. But when you're typing into a search result, you don't think that, because you don't think that, those, that that's rigged, the, whatever bias is inherent in that search result slips through, you know, and goes directly into your like subconscious. And this is what the and Harvard psychologist was explaining too. This, this is Dr. what, you, yeah, this is what Dr. Epstein was explaining. And he's developed a black box test that is able to show how much he's able to um, influence people. So he thought he was able to influence people, maybe like, you know, the undecided, like plus or minus 10. What he found is that he could, he could switch their opinions either way uh, with a 90% effect rate. That, that is astounding. That is absolutely astounding. It blew away all of his expectations, all their predictions. The effect was much larger than, than what he ever thought possible. And so he started producing you know, the, the results of this research and posting them. And Google went into immediate attack mode. They said, oh, he's a conspiracy theorist and he has no credibility. Discrediting, and discrediting. Just discrediting. It's like, how can you discredit this guy? He's, he was literally the chief, the editor-in-chief of psychology today. Like, you know, you don't just blanketly dismiss him as a conspiracy theorist. You know, you take what he has to say and you evaluate whether his uh, assertions are valid or not. And Google, you know, was just, you know, was just dismissing him, which is the reason why I got so excited about you know, looking further into this guy's research because I was like, well, if Google's, if Google's suspicing him that much, then he might be onto something true. And he was. So it's the search result. And, you know, it's, it's gone from political to creepiness. Like, I think I'm just going to like try something right now. Um, when I disclosed this project ML Fairness to, you know, Project Veritas, you know, we did this thing of men can, you know, uh, so right now, it says on Google, men can get breast cancer, men can cook, men can have periods, men can think about nothing, men can have babies. Now, men can have babies, men can get pregnant. Yeah. Those are all, the top. It's Those all pejorative. Pejorative. All pejorative. You can do this right now, and you can see what Google's suggesting for men can. So what you see here is you see that they're, they're, they're going like full, full onto the culture war. They're manipulating our search results. They're manipulating our auto suggestions. They're manipulating the, the, the news that gets pushed to you. And they've captured 90% of the search market share. And this is a really big problem. That's another astounding number, along with the 90% ability to shift viewpoints with their autocomplete suggestions. Yeah, yeah. 90%, I mean, that is a another astounding number it's just shocking the influence they have yeah 90 percent. if you're undecided i do want to qualify that yeah. um so um yeah that's that's what this research was about with dr epstein and and he's 100 percent right and 
you know, we've got to watch out for Google because this is what they're going to do. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to try to rig the 2020 elections. So you know? why, why don't you finish your narrative on the lawfare uh, uh, activity that they were push, putting you through? Is that, did they cease once you released the papers or are they still engaged yeah. in suiting you? Yes. Once I came out and started going, you know, full, full into Google, what they're doing and started analyzing all the leaks um, and showing people what was happening and basically drumming up community uh, support. Um, at that point, Google got much friendlier with me. They've always sent me one additional letter and that letter was, hey, um, can you please look on your laptop and let us know if you've got any <laughs> more data? You know, and what I said to them, I sent them a letter back and I said, hey, I'm totally, I can totally do that. I can search through my computer and all my backup data to see, you know, if there's any additional information that, you know, I haven't disclosed to the public. But keep in mind, if I find any information that I haven't disclosed, then I feel that I'm under obligation to uh, give it to the media and give it to law enforcement because it's part of this investigation. Yeah. So let me know. Let me know if you want me to continue that. And <laughs> they've never gotten back to me. So, but they sent the law enforcement agencies to your home, and it, it's, I believe they arrested you, put you in handcuffs, and I no, mean, they didn't arrest me. So, no? yeah. So it, this was right before I was going to come out on Project Veritas. Mm -hmm. um, once I figured out that uh, you know that they were going to that that. So all right. So what 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 I found out is that like you know I'm at this point of. Google knows that I know about what they've been up to. I know that they know that I know. And now I've come to this conclusion of like, well, you know, if I was in their place, what would I do? If I was like really evil, I'd be like, well, I would consider the option of just whacking this guy because that could prevent the disclosure of all this information coming out. So I called up my friend, James O'Keefe, and I said, hey, James, um, if I get whacked, you can release all of the information immediately to the public. There's no embargo. And then I went to Twitter and I said, in the event of my untimely death, all documents become public. And, uh, and, I, and, I, and I tweeted that. Four hours later, Google sends a wellness check to my house. No, that's right. <laughs> that's what it yeah. was. Now, um, Mentally incapacitated for even considering something like that. Yeah. So um, you're like, well, what does he mean by this in, in the event of my untimely death? He must mean that he's going to come and he's going to like do something bad to us, you know, because they're, they're monitoring my, my Twitter handle, right? So um, at this point, because they know who I am. So, uh, so fortunately for them, they used an address that I'd given them as a decoy and they sent the police to the wrong house in a different county. <laughs> so I live in San Francisco and they thought I lived in Richmond. So they sent police to Richmond. And uh, my friend who lives there, like was talking to the police. He's like, yeah, Zach's not here. And they're like, they're like we really want to talk to him. You know, they, weren't, they weren't like believing what they were having to say. He's like, no, Zach, Zach's really not here. He doesn't live here. And so my friends gave me a call and they said, yo, these police really wanted to get their hands on you. I think they wanted to arrest you. And I went, oh, wow, that's, that's disconcerting. Uh, well, I hope that they don't come here. I hope that was the end of it. Well, sure enough, like 
like 30 minutes later, you know, um, the doorbell starts being rung. You know, I've got a gate, because uh, I live in a high crime area, I've got a gate and then I've got a, uh, an inner door. And, uh, and so they're, they're ringing the doorbell and I don't answer. And then about like a few minutes later, they're, they're like pounding on the door. So now they're through the gate and they're pounding on my door, trying to, um, trying to get me to come down. They're yelling my name to come down, but they don't really announce themselves as police. So I'm like, uh, I'm just not gonna talk to them, right? That's within my right. You have the right not to talk to the police. Um, so I decided not to talk to them. And I'm like, well, for all they know, I'm at work. Um, you know, just what are they gonna do? Well, they decided to call in a bomb threat. <laughs> <laughs> they saw a tin can of um, denatured alcohol that my um, that my roommate uses when she goes to Burning Man. She's a fire performer, mm-hmm. and so they they saw this can of of denatured alcohol, and they said, "This could be a bomb. We better call the bomb squad in." And so um, they shut down Valencia from like twentieth to twenty second, and Valencia is like a huge street in San Francisco, and they just shut it all down. They evacuated the, the, the local stores. They evacuated the theater that was down the street. Um, it was a really, you know, big effing deal, right? And I didn't realize that this was happening, but I started to get a clue that something was really going on when I started hearing the helicopter flying really <laughs> close to my house. A clue, a clue. It was flu, right? And I'm sitting there, I'm like, there's no way that this helicopter's for me. But I know something's not quite right because the police are staked out on the other side of the street. I'm on like the second floor, so they they have a hard time seeing me because I'm not on the ground level, but I can look down and see them. And and I've taken my phone, turned on the camera, and then I've like, I've like eked it like across the the curtain, kind of like a periscope. So I can like see around the corner of what's going on. I'm like, wow, there's cops on the other side of the street. So I'm laying low. Now there's a, there's a helicopter flying overhead. Now I hear that there's another helicopter flying. I'm like, there's no way that this is all for me. Like that would be, (laughs) that would be a crazy conspiracy theory that they called the hell like helicopter. And you know, they blocked off the road. Like there's no way probably just someone murdered someone and they're looking (laughs) for them. It's just all a coincidence. Right, because that's the rational thing to say. Sure, sure. Well, it turned out that my friend at this time had decided that he was going to check in on me because he, you know, he saw the police come to his house and he's worried about me. So he comes down and, yeah, he sees the streets blocked off. So he gives me a call. He's like, Zach, I'm at your house. There's police everywhere and they're here for you. And I was like, <laughs> no way. He's like, yeah. And so I start talking to the police and I'm like, what do you guys want? You guys want to ask me some questions about how I'm doing? They're like, yeah. And I'm like, well, then just ask me. I'll answer them right now. Like, we have to see your face because we have to get like your micro expressions. And I'm like, well, then just FaceTime me. And they're like, no, we can't do that. We actually have to see you face to face. And I said, okay, look, I'll tell you what. If, if all you need to do is this wellness check, then I'll come downstairs 
you can meet me down there by the gate and you can just ask me these questions. We'll, we'll take care of this right now. I was like, okay, great. So I go downstairs and I open the door and there's a bomb robot through the gate with its arm, like, like coming over to grab this denatured alcohol and pull it out. And so I, I called the officer back and I said, hey officer, I, I, can't, I can't come out because there's a bomb robot blocking my way. I'm like, okay, we're gonna clear that. We just gotta make sure that the area is clear first. The robot goes away and I'm like, okay, I'm ready to talk to you. And they're like, actually, we can't meet you at the gate. You're gonna have to come to us. I said, no, 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 we just had this agreement. You know, now you're, now you're, now you're moving the goalposts. You know, are you gonna move them again if I come out there and you're gonna detain me and now you're gonna like take me in for psychological evaluation? I'm like, why don't you just come? Like, I'm sorry, we can't come. It's for our own safety. You're gonna have to come out. I said, nope, I'm not, I'm not doing this. this there's deception being used. Um, so I go back upstairs and they keep on talking to me and they're like, you know, we're, gonna, we're just gonna do this in shifts until you come out of the house. And I started thinking to myself, I'm like, well, what if they make up some reason, some exigent circumstances and they bust through the front door and they, they, they come in and they, they shoot me and then their body cams mysteriously go off and they said that, oh, he had a weapon, right? Now they're fully justified and there's a cover up. And I said, that's a bad situation. So, you know, what I'm gonna do instead is if there's going to be, you know, a bad action, then I'm gonna do it out in the open where everyone's got their cameras focused on me. So I let them know, hey, I'm gonna come out. I'm gonna have my camera going in my right hand. It's not a gun, it's not a weapon. You know, is that okay to have my, my camera filming at the same time? They said, yes, that's okay. So I go, okay, so I come out. I announce that I'm coming out. I come out with my hands up. There's video of me on the internet with my hands like up. They, they tell me to like turn around. They tell me to like walk backwards. And then they, they take my hands, they put it behind my back. They go through my pockets. They make sure I don't have any weapons. And then they, uh, and then they ask me, they bring me over to this officer and he asks me a bunch of questions like, you know, are you feeling suicidal? Do you want to hurt anyone? Is there any medication you haven't taken that you want to, that you need to be on? You know, and then they're like, and I answer truthfully to all those, you know, and then they're like, well, why would Google call this on you? And I went, aha, I knew it was Google. You know, I knew they were behind this wellness check, you know, because they weren't telling me who, who had called it in until that point. And I said, yeah, I know why they would call this wellness check because they're retaliating because I delivered 950 pages to the DOJ um, about their um, censorship and their seditious activity against the president of the United States. And they're like, what? And I was like, yeah. And I, and I like showed them an image of the, um, I showed them an image of the letter that I had taken and they, they saw that and they went, oh my gosh, you're a whistleblower. I was like, yeah, I'm a whistleblower. And they're like, okay, we got it. And then right after that, everything de-escalated. They started joking with me um, and I was asking about their job and I said, hey, I've got this like question that's bugging me for a very long time, but one, ask police officers. I was like, what's the most realistic cop program on TV? Is it CSI? And they, they all laugh and they're like, no, 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 CSI is completely fake. There's only one show on television that is an accurate representation of the police. I was like, what's that? 
They said, Reno 911. I went, no way. Wow. They all, they all agreed. It was the SWAT team, the bomb squad, the SFPD. They all agreed that, that uh, Reno 911 was the only cop show on television that was accurate. So um, I, I was really happy that we were able to like end it on a high note like that. Uh, the very next day, I got an, on an 8 a.m. flight and I got the heck out of San Francisco. I went and stayed in Washington, D.C. in a safe location that was under someone else's name. And then a week later, you know, and, and I got some, I got like Sarah Carter and some independent journalists uh, to write about this upcoming disclosure. I went to Project Veritas. We disclosed everything, you know, out in, in full disclosure. Myself, my name, um, identified myself. We, we released all the documents and we, and you know, the rest is history. And, and, and I've been basically following up uh, on that release and helping explain to the public, you know, what it means. And yes. as long as I stay in the limelight, I think that I'll be safe from Google. So yes. Well, th thank you for sharing your backstory. I, th I think anyone who's watching this is going to find that fascinating. So I, I would like to conclude with a summary and uh, an action plan, because I hate to leave it on a negative note. Uh, because there are some positive things, and you and I have shared in previous conversations some things that made me highly optimistic that uh, we can absolutely make a difference. And one of the first things we can do is stop using Google. Yeah. So, you know, and maybe you can review what you're doing. Like, you don't use Gmail, you use Proton Mail, and stop using Google Search, obviously, and uh, then Chrome as a browser, and even Android as a phone. So, why don't right. you discuss that, and then we'll, we'll talk about some of the other strategies that we're looking forward to. Right, so uh, I call it the Google detox, okay? <laughs> so, you know, don't use a, um, you know, an Android, use, use an iPhone. It's, it's slightly better uh, of the two. Um, and, um, you know, Google is everywhere. Google is our search, Google is our mail, Google's in our schools. And one of the ways that we can stop using this company is that we can just start using alternatives. And it turns out that the alternatives are often better than what Google is able to offer. And the reason why is because they don't engage in the same type of censorship. You know, people and use Google. And surveillance. And surveillance. You know, people use Google because they're trying to find information. And if Google is destroying the results because of, you know, big pharma collusion or collusion with these other entrenched interests, then they're preventing users from finding the information that they want. So I'm, you know, advocating for people to use DuckDuckGo. I use DuckDuckGo myself. Um, and I, I will still sometimes use Google if the other search engines like DuckDuckGo or StartPage don't work. Then I'll go to Google and because it's, it's hard to, to not use Google when you absolutely have to. Um, but you know, by me giving service to these other companies, that what we can do is we can help grow them so that, you know, Google becomes less and less uh, relevant. Um, the second thing is that I now use ProtonMail. Why? Because ProtonMail has less spam on it. And it allows me to do end-to-end -end encryption with the emails that I do and doesn't give an evil corporation like uh, Google access, carte blanche access to read all of 
the, the content of my personal communications. Um, and, and so those are the main two ways that we can practice Google detoxification, just by using a different email system and by using a different search platform. Um, and, and, you know, and then a using a different phone, a different phone. Yeah. The three. Yeah. Use iPhone, use DuckDuckGo, use ProtonMail. You know, those three things will get most of Google out of your life. And I've, I've been a lot happier because of that. Um, I know that they are able to, um, to read everything that I write when I'm in Gmail or when I'm using one of their services. And, and I've had people that want to interview me on YouTube and then their YouTube pages get destroyed. Um, <laughs> so are you recommending BitChute as the alternative? I, I am, but the problem with BitChute is that um, they, they just don't have a good interface yet. So yeah. um, I, I'm actually using, um, oh, oh, I know what's, what's, what's a big thing. People today are using Chrome browser. Yeah, and yeah. The Chrome I, browser is a wonderful browser, but it's compromised by Google. And it runs like crap now because of all the adware that it's now loading. Yeah. Um, and, so... And and it's based on the, the Continuum software or infrastructure. And there's a lot of other alternatives, like Brave is my favorites, which is awesome. Yeah, I, I used to use Firefox, but um, there was a, the, the guy, the founder of Firefox got booted because he donated to the wrong candidate. So I've realized that Firefox is now compromised as well. And it also runs like crap. Mm -hmm. So what I use is the Brave browser. And what Brave is, is that they took the open source version of Chrome and I, honestly, I don't know why Google open source Chromium. Chrome. It's Chromium. Yeah. Not Chromium. Yeah. yeah. So, so the open source version of Chrome is called Chromium. And um, the guy who created this browser, uh, Brave, is basically he, he forked it and he created his own version. And then he added um, features to eliminate all the, all the ads. And so now my MacBook runs like new. Like I've got a 2012 <laughs> MacBook. And I thought I had to upgrade it in order to make it run fast. It turns out that if I just ditch Chrome and I use Brave instead, that my computer operates like five times faster when it got like a lot of browser tabs open. And that's, that's, it's phenomenal. It's like, not only do I get to Google detox, but I get a better experience for not using Google. It's, it's, it's like, it's a no brainer, uh, no brainer. Like people should just use it. And all of the, all the plugins that I use, like LastPass, which mm -hmm. like contains all my, sure. my passwords. That's what I use. They too. all install. They all install yeah. and Brave. So yeah. I'm like, just just switch. Like just, just go ahead, just switch, and your your and, you, and your extension, you, all your extensions transfer, and your favorites. The only thing they don't do, it seems, and maybe I just I don't understand the the, the software well enough. But they you can't if you install it on different PCs, like your notebook and your laptop and your desktop. It, it, it doesn't identify you as a single user to transfer everything. You have to do everything independently. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, things are getting better. Yeah, I know, but it's... You're very technical, only, Dr. Only thing it doesn't do. I'm sorry? You're very technical. Do you have a background yeah. in software I took my at first all? programming class in 1968. Cobalt oh. and Fortran. <laughs> Never did much after that. Yeah. And I was online in 77 was the first time I was online. And yeah. I started my site two years before Google started theirs. Dang. You know yeah. what? We should create a brand new search engine that uses a whitelisting technique so that only sites with high credibility are uh, returned to search results. That sounds like a great idea. <laughs> Why don't we do that? <laughs> we should do that. Hopefully someone's working on that right now. 
Yeah, I can't wonder, I wonder who. <laughs> yeah, that is great. Um, so what, what's in store for you other than uh, making yourself visible so that you, I, I guess, uh, secure your uh, invulnerability or decrease your vulnerability of the Google's yeah. uh, tactics and strategies? And what's, in the, what's on your plate for the, ne the near future? So um, there's a few projects that I'm not prepared to disclose at this moment that I'm working on. Um, but my main goal right now is to raise awareness about Google and create a cultural force. Now that I've decided to come forward, I have to go all in. And if I stop, then my life becomes in danger. And so, um, you know, I'm on this speaking tour, um, you know, letting the public know what's really going on. And... For those of you that are listening, you can help join the fight by visiting me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is Perpetual Maniac. You can also search for Zach Voorhees. Um, but if you go to twitter.com slash Perpetual Maniac and you click the follow button, you'll be part of, uh, of, of, a, of a collection of patriots that are looking to ensure the survival of the Republic to ensure sovereignty and to bring Google to account of the censorship of what they're doing. And people are helping me raise awareness by retweeting the things that I'm saying, because honestly, I'm fighting giants. Yeah, and this is David versus Goliath, no it's question. David, it's a David versus Goliath, but there's a lot more Davids than there are Goliaths. Yeah. And you know, that is our one strategic advantage is how many people are becoming activated and aware of Google search manipulation. And We're after you again, Zach. Yeah. <laughs> no, so actually that was one of the positions that I held too, is that we outnumber them tremendously. I don't know what the ratios are, but it's easily a million to one, I would think. Mm -hmm. So the people that are in control that have this power to influence and spread their propaganda and lies and deceptions, what do you, what do you think the ratio is from your perspective? Uh, it's, it, I think it's a million to one, uh, that, that sort of like, um, that sort of ratio. Um, and I know that, you know, they, they can take me out. I'm just, you know, just a small ant in comparison to a trillion dollar corporation. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I've already accepted death as a possible outcome. So if they're going to take me down, then I'm just going to go down fighting and I'm going to leverage everything that they do to further the, the, the great awakening that's happening right now in the United States and across the world. And, um, and I, I'm doing that because ultimately I'm in service to a higher power. And I believe that this is what, I believe that this higher power, call him the prime creator, call him God, whatever you want. I believe that this, that this you know, magnificent creative force in, in the universe wants people to be free. And it's up to us to ensure that the freedoms that we enjoyed uh, as people are handed down to our children, our grandchildren, and, our, and to our collective children and our collective future. And so, you know, I feel that uh, that as long as I stay in service to that higher power, that um, that that they can't touch me. There's nothing that they can do that will um, stop this from happening. Yeah, I believe that represents the spirit that our founding forefathers had when they uh, were escaping the tyranny of the British. And uh, many of us don't realize the challenges and the, the severe hardships they had to undergo. And you know, we just take for granted all the freedoms that we have, uh, which are rapidly uh, diminishing. But 
So I applaud your efforts and uh, I'm wondering if you're willing to share without revealing too much with respect to your optimism on the future that because once you hear your story, it's very easy to be be engaged in fear, the fear response. Yeah. And, all, you know, oh, there's nothing we can do. It's all over now. It's how, how can you fight this evil giant? Because it is really challenging. But yeah. that you don't share that perspective. So no, why, why, no. Why, why, well, I discovered something. I discovered those, something. There's, hope. Guy, I got so many stories. I, I, you know, it's 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 like I hate to share them all because I'll just keep on talking. But there's a really <laughs> interesting story that I discovered, which was um, let's go back to October 2017. There was the Las Vegas massacre that happened. Right. Right. And you know, why is this? Why is this a reason to be optimistic? Because of what I caught Google censoring, which was a website that was reporting on free energy. And specifically, it was a type of free energy generator called an ECAT. It's a form of cold fusion. And this site, ecatworld.com, does nothing but report on this cold fusion technology and the developments around it. Um, this technology has been demonstrated in third-party independent analysis. The analysis was, um, was reported in peer-reviewed uh, journal uh, by Cornell University. Um, and the fact that the media is not even reporting about this at all is astounding. What I caught Google doing is I caught Google um, censoring this website. And the way that they were censoring it is that they were pretending that this website was spreading conspiracy theories about the Las Vegas attacks. And this document was something that I've released. You can go to my Twitter and search for it, and you can find uh, where I've disclosed the documents uh, detailing the fake URL that Google was using in order to completely delete this website, eCat World, from the Google search index. Now, I found out about this because I happened to visit eCatWorld.com, um, and I've been visiting it for years because I thought that, well, in the past, I thought that this didn't exist. I thought that cold fusion was a hoax. But I was really like intrigued by how many scientists were fooled into thinking that cold fusion worked. Well, once I saw that Google itself was going through a sophisticated hack to bring down this website, I started to realize, well, maybe the reason why they're censoring it is because it's true. And so I said, well, if this is true, then I'm going to come to a couple predictions. One, Google, because it's so wealthy, is going to hedge its bets and develop this technology themselves just so that they can you know, keep their finger on the pulse of this technology sector. Two, um, yeah, and, and, and then two, they're gonna keep this lab secret. But if I search for it, I'll be able to find it as an internal employee. So I went ahead, I tested my hypothesis, and I ended up finding that Google had a secret cold fusion laboratory in Mountain View. <laughs> and I ended up talking to the scientists that were involved in that. And that's when I realized, okay, this model that there's suppression, you know, this is, this is one of my wake up moments where I was like, okay, this is yet another confirmation that, you know, the censorship is, is actually not because people are crazy, but because there's some dangerous information that the, that the people that are in control of the world don't want everyone else to know. Once I started realizing that cold fusion you know, was real, I started looking at the papers that were being generated and seeing the, the, the details. And I started asking myself, why is everyone that's complaining about 
you know, global warming, why aren't they talking about this cold fusion development? Like, not only has the United States been developing this, but Italy, Japan, China, Lockheed Martin, Skunk Works, like they've all had this cold fusion like research. People from around the world have been able to reproduce the results of the original experiment. And then I started to realize, oh my God, the original cold fusion hoax was itself a hoax. Like this actually existed. And in 1989, uh, when it was disclosed, uh, the media got together with the government, in a collusion to, to bury it. I started asking myself, well, why would they bury this? And I started to realize that it was something that the Egyptians, the pharaohs of, the, of, the, of ancient Egypt had discovered, which was if you have a monopoly on water, then your optimal game state is to create a desert everywhere else, okay? They're trying to, that the people that are in control they can't exist in a state of abundance. Their whole strategy for control is to create artificial scarcity everywhere, right? Artificial scarcity in energy, artificial scarcity in health, artificial scarcity in prosperity. And if they become the gatekeepers for every aspect of abundance and only selectively give it to who they want, then they effectively have control over that civilization. And if people realize that free energy as a technology can exist, then it's game over for these people. Like they just don't have control in that new society. And what I've realized when I was looking at this research is that, wow, they can't stop this scientific advancement. It's now coming out. And the reason why they're doing this censorship is not because they want to, you know, seize control of society, you know, because they, because it's the end state of them winning. What I realized is that, they had control of society. They're losing control of society. And if all of this stuff comes out to the surface, the free energy, the fact that like, you know, health is accessible to everyone, if they just get off the processed food, then we're gonna be living in a state of abundance. They won't have control. And they're desperately trying to prevent that scenario from happening. Well, what I've realized right now with all the crazy stuff that's happening in the world, is that they can't, is that there's a, there's a dam breaking and they still think that they can keep in control, but they're losing it. And what's happening is that we're, 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 we're in a global reset that's occurring. The United States is withdrawing from the world as this superpower. You know, this involves Donald Trump. This involves the United States military. This involves the United States retreating from the world as the superpower and the puppets of these global masters. You know, call them globalism for lack of a better term. We're reestablishing sovereignty. And the reason why the United States is so important is because if they can prevent the United States from reclaiming its sovereignty, then they can keep their lock on the entire world. Well, that's not happening. The United States is declaring sovereignty. We are, you know, declaring that this is the United States and we're not going to have, you know, human trafficking unchecked going across the border. We're not going to be involved in, you know, conflicts in the Middle East and, you know, that end up being, you know, for these oil wars. You know, we're retreating. There's a new world that's forming. And, um, and at this point, I am part of that global awakening that's happening. 
and for all of you people out there that are worried that, you know, that, that are seeing all the censorship and are getting really worried, you got to realize that, 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 that the law is the final refuge of scoundrels. And, you know, you got to look at what's happening now, just like the MP3 industry. Um, the MP3 industry started going after, you know, grandmothers and parents of children that were downloading MP3s and suing them for hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars. That was the Napster um, days. That was the Napster days. And everyone's like, oh my God, this whole, there's a whole lockdown on the internet that's coming because of, you know, music sharing. And at the very worst of it, what happened? The music industry collapsed. And whatever happens with the dying industry, what you'll see is that in that die in the final gasps of its of its of its life, it runs to the law and it tries to screw everything up for everyone uh, in order to preserve itself. And that's what you're seeing here with the deep state. It's on life support. It hasn't accepted the fact that it's control over energy and health and all these other aspects of what makes us human. It's they're losing control. And what's ahead of us is a really great world where, you know, it's a world filled with uh, clean, abundant energy. It's filled with, um, with, with, you know, wonderfully entertaining cities. It's filled with a short, you know, with a, what I think will be a 20 hour work, work day and then a four hour work day. And then, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll be a, a future where we may not even have to work at all. You know, that's the world that, that were that is approaching us and it's inevitable at this point and so you know for all of you people out there worried like don't don't have fear like fear is sinful like be excited about what's coming down the pipeline yes but that, that's thank you for uh, sharing your vision of the future with us and uh, part of the excitement i think is because free energy solves a lot of problems i mean if you have abundant energy at minimal to no cost uh, many of the world's problems just disappear including water and food supply and uh, you know any any threats of global warming um, so it's exciting I'm really excited but you know I don't want to be have that message of uh, victory premature and that it does require us to cooperate and participate in this process so you know you've got your Twitter account which is uh, what was it again it was Paranoid, perpetual, perpetual maniac. Perpetual maniac. Perpetual yeah, join the fight. How many people on your Twitter account now? Uh, it's almost twenty-seven thousand at this point. Twenty-seven thousand growing, so that'll be good. Uh, do you do you view Twitter as one of the less evil social media forces? Uh, I mean, you mentioned earlier that they were clearly censoring too some of the conservative. They're stuff. censoring. I think that there has been some sort of intervention. Um, that's been happening with uh, Twitter. Um, there's been a, a, a counterinsurgency movement or counterintelligence movement called the QAnon movement. And I realized that QAnon could be taken out, like all the people that support the dissemination of the information that's presented by that could be taken out in three days mm -hmm. across all social media platforms. And they're not being taken out. Um, they're being allowed to stay. And I I've saw... YouTube themselves try to take one of these accounts down and then there was a mysterious last minute intervention that said actually there's been a policy change we're not taking this information. I know that there's a lot of media right now about how QAnon is this evil place that Oh you know, sure. But that's what Wikipedia will tell you. 
Wikipedia will tell you that they're a dangerous terrorist organization. It's, it's just, it's all garbage. Don't believe it. Like QAnon was, the reason why they're fighting QAnon is because QAnon was telling us about Jeffrey Epstein in 2017 and disseminating all this information that's now coming to pass with Spygate. Um, and um, there, was a, there was a retired military general that actually admitted that QAnon was a military uh, operation and he even gave the, the, the base that was responsible for it. So, you know, we're, we're getting disclosure that yes, there's been this counterintelligence operation um, and it's necessary because the media is colluding to present a false projection of reality. And so, um, you know, don't think of us as, oh, we're, we're, try we're trying to prevent like this evil force from taking over. You gotta realize we're winning. Yeah. And it's time for people to fight and collectivize, get on Twitter, you know, tell people on Facebook what's going on, wake them up because, yeah. you know, you want to be on the right side of history uh, as this comes through. And that history is very bright. Yeah. So. Well, I can't thank you enough for your courage and your participation in this entire process, for your uh, con confirmation that what our recommendations were valid, the Brave browser instead of Chrome, get ditch your Android phone, switch to iPhone, and obviously don't use Google search or Gmail. Proton Mail being the best. So uh, it's going to be a very exciting future, and I look forward to collaborating with you in the future on one of the projects that we mentioned earlier and uh, really spreading the truth of information. I think that really is the core of what we do here. You know, I put my fo primary focus is on health because that's what my decades of training has been on, and there's no question in my mind that the truths of knowledge that we have exposed and now is buried because we are censored on Google, obviously. Uh, uh, really can help people recover. 90% of the people just don't need the medicines and surgery. They just follow the principles we outline in our, our process. I, obviously, it helps if you have a health coach or someone to walk you through it is more knowledgeable because there's obviously individual customizations, but basically the truth is there. And that's what we want to share with the whole world because I completely agree with your uh, viewpoint on abundance and prosperity. And I'm all for it, and I hope to live to see that. So thank you for everything you're doing, and really appreciate the connection. And I hope, and I hope that you get uncensored, Doctor. You've had a tremendous contribution to the health and welfare of yeah, the world. Uh, you know, the censorship, I mean, people, there's enough. We, I mean, we've been hundreds of millions of people visit our site. So, and we were at one point at 30 million views a month. Uh, so we're known throughout the entire world, and the people want to, they probably can come to our site and figure it out. But uh, so I'm not really too concerned about that. So, but and we, you know, what what really impacted me is that I catalyzed lots of other sites to spin up. Now most of those sites are taken down too, but there's a lot of information that's not just mine out there that's spreading the truth, and it gives me great joy to see that they just don't have to come to my site. There's a lot of health sites out that are really telling people the truth, which is what you know what we were what was the initial catalyst for our my starting the site. It wasn't to sell products it was to to help people get better by avoiding pain needless medications that causes pain, uh, needless suffering and premature death so um i'm just excited to be involved and and continue the fight with people like you because it's it's going to be a good one and i just i'm looking forward to the victory yes thank you doctor